You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's teaching, Objections and Necessity, in spite of some teaching the gifts of the Spirit are no longer necessary, Philip Edwards will give a dozen good reasons why the gifts will remain in the church until Jesus returns. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for the new modules coming up and also see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome to this, our second uh, teaching on prophecy. We're going to look first in the first half of uh, why people object uh, to the gift of prophecy being exercised today. And in the second half, we'll look at really the necessity of the gift. Before we bring the teaching, let's just have a word of prayer then. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, We know it delights your heart when we examine your word, when we want to learn about you and the things of the kingdom. So we ask that by the power of your spirit, you'll talk into our hearts, reveal truth to us, Lord. Pray for an anointing upon the ears that listen and also these lips as they look to share the word of God. The objections then to prophecy today The number one objection is that people say instead of seeking after gifts and believing that the evidence of uh, spiritual life is that we can exercise the gifts, that we shouldn't waste time doing that, but simply grow in uh, exercising the ability to love, bear the fruit of the Spirit, as it were. They take many of their uh, arguments from 1 Corinthians 13. So they would say, well, we shouldn't seek after spiritual gifts today. Simply uh, just develop the ability to love and to walk in love with one another and with God. They argue that the fruit of the Spirit is more evidence of spiritual development than exercising the gifts of the Spirit. Love, the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is vital. It's vital in that if we exercise the gifts, the motivation for the gift must flow from a heart of love, not to be uh, feeling that you've reached some uh, place of maturity because you can exercise the gifts. But I would say the Christian life is more about loving. Love is vital, it is important, but there's a whole lot more to Christian life than simply loving God or one another. The Bible says that if gifts are manifested without love, the one who exercises the gift, the donor of the gift, he profits little, whereas the one who has received the gift, he obviously profits, uh, receives much, he profits much from it. I'll read that verse to you, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, just 1 to 3, I'll just read the first and the last piece. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. 
then at the end there it says, I gain nothing. So if the motivation in exercising the gift is not in love, then the donor gains little. But the one who has received the gift obviously uh, receives something wonderful from the Lord, be it healing or a word of knowledge or discernment or direction in their lives. I want to look at a couple of verses now that I think people have some, some difficulty with. They're found in Matthew and it's related to this very subject. It's in Matthew 7 and it's from verses 15 to 23. I'll, I'll read through it and then we'll just examine parts of it. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. So he's describing a group of people. He says they're false. They're not what they appear to be. And actually inside, he describes them as ferocious wolves. By their fruits, he says, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, or good fruit, sorry, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. <laughs> He's definitely talking about people who have no relationship with God. Clearly, they they're thinking just of themselves. There's nothing good or virtuous in them at all. And of course, it, it makes the point they're thrown into the fire, indicating they have no future with God at all. So that's the first group of people. In the next couple of verses, I believe it deals with another group of people. I think some people try and uh, group these two paragraphs, as it were, together as though they were one person. But this is a second sort of person now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, Away from me, you evildoers. This is a different group of people. These are people who can genuinely say, Lord, Lord. And he, he emphasizes that twice, Lord, Lord. Because we know in 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So I would say these people are genuine Christian folk. It sort of begs the question as well, because he says, did we not prophesy in your name? And the answer was, yes, they did. There's no argument there. And uh, in your name, didn't we not drive out demons? Well, yes, they did. And performed not just one or two miracles, but we performed many miracles. He says, then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. It says many will say in those days, that's a bit of a chilling thought, that many people could be exercising the gifts, but are not doing it from a motivation of love. 
did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? Well, yes, apparently you did. So why does he say then, away from me, as though they've done something wrong? Because their motivation was not of love. He's pleased that they help people and that people benefited from their ministry, their faith as it were, but what is displeasing to the Lord is their motivation wasn't one of love. And so he doesn't say, I'm condemning you or throwing you into a fire, but he was saying, away from me, because that's not how I operate. These verses really correspond with uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13. This would indicate our motivation then for exercising the gifts could be more important to the actual exercising of the gift. So always examine one's motivation. So I would agree that we must operate in love, but to say the gift isn't necessary, we simply need to love people, that's, that's a foolish way to look at it. We need, yes, to operate by love, but we need to exercise the gifts as well. So that the person who is in need, he receives through the gifts of the Spirit what is necessary to strengthen or to encourage him as a Christian. The life of Jesus, we know, was constantly characterized by love. When Jesus prophesied, and sometimes it would be very strong and very direct into people's lives, he always did it through love and through grace. But he didn't only show love, did he, to people. He manifested the power of the Spirit. It was that which changed their lives. Being loved by the Lord was a wonderful thing. But if you were sick, the love never made you well. It was the, the manifestation of the power of the Spirit. So we want both. It's not either or. We want love and we want the gifts as well. In fact, if Jesus only showed us the love of God, he would have failed somewhat in his ministry. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 4 and 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. It's important what we say and how we communicate, but we need to see the power as well. Jesus showed us the power of God in who he was in what he said, and also in what he did. They said, no man spoke like this man. It's just amazing to hear him talk. But it, it was the gifts of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit, that really amazed the people. I'm going to give you uh, three or four examples now of where people were more struck by the power than the person or the love of him. In Mark 1 and 27, it says the people were all amazed. Now, in that passage in Mark chapter 1, where he's in the synagogue with the guy that manifests the evil spirits, first it says they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. But then towards the end, when he exercises deliverance, it says this, the people were all amazed. It said, he gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. So yes, they were amazed at his teaching because 
comparing it with the, the, the scribes and the teachers, but really what really amazed them and caused them to, to come to Peter's house in the evening was the fact that he moved in the supernatural with the gifts of the Spirit. It says in Mark 4 and 41, it says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Remember when he was on board the ship and he exercised authority over the elements? They were amazed at this. In Mark 5 and 20, it says, So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, this is the, the, the gathering demoniac who was delivered, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amazed at what? Amazed at the manifestation of the power of Christ to set this man absolutely free. And again in Mark 5 and 42, he says, At this they were completely astonished. Well, what had happened? This is the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. They weren't amazed because he was a loving man. They were amazed because he manifested the power of being able to raise the dead. So it wasn't his love that so astonished them, but the exercising of the power of the gifts of the Spirit. When we look at the life of the disciples, we see that they live the life. They preach the message everywhere they went. They were kind, they were loving, they were generous, they were following their master, they were imitating what he was doing. But they needed evidence that they had been sent from God. He had to work with them with signs and wonders. And so we need that today. We need more than just to be kind or nice. We need something that happens in our life that people would say, these people have been sent by God. It says in Mark 16 and 20, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. The confirmation of what they were saying was the signs that came with it. Prophecy is one of those signs where we can uh, bring the word of God into a person's life. The second objection is that our task is not here, we're not here to exercise the gifts primarily, but we're here to preach the gospel, making sure that those who have not heard the gospel will hear it, that they are able to receive salvation. And I agree, we mustn't get diverted from that. That's our primary task, is to share the gospel with others. Their argument that some Christians have got so involved with pursuing the gifts or the experiences of the Holy Spirit that they neglected the preaching of the gospel. I've not met too many of these people. And of course, if they thought and believed that, well, we would say that's not right. They would say that the main interest in finding excitement rather than the desire to win the lost, is, is wrong. It is wrong. They would argue that the, the Spirit of God is not interested in sensationalism. Uh, it doesn't 
it doesn't give gifts to people in order that they uh, there's a sensation around their ministry and I would uh, agree with that as well but what the gifts of the Holy Spirit do they open the door for the gospel to be preached it is evidence that God is here that what they're saying needs to be listened to it also the gifts of the Spirit bring health to the church The Holy Spirit's job always is to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus, not on the, the gifts or, or what is happening or even on the person who is exercising the gifts, but on Jesus Christ himself. It says in John 16 and 14, he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. That's the the work of the Holy Spirit. He's not doing a work of his own, but he is revealing the Father and the Son to us. If there is a need for healing today, apart from uh, the skills of the doctors, and I praise the doctors for all they do, often they, they manage our sickness, don't they? I believe all, all healing would come from the Lord. It is God who heals us. Therefore, if there is a need for more than medical science, as we call it, there's definitely a need for divine healing today. If there are demonic spirits today interfering in the minds of people and in their lives, we definitely need that gift of discernment to determine what's going on here. Is this a spiritual thing and do these people need to be delivered from this spirit? How then can we omit these gifts and say they're not necessary today? Maybe there's greater need today than there's ever been. The third objection to these gifts, they say the gifts ceased uh, with the apostles when the first apostles passed away, so did the gifts. It was only to get the whole thing started, as it were. Or now we have the scriptures we don't need the gifts. The gifts were there until the scriptures were in place and then the gifts are no more. There were many teachers who taught these things. There's much fewer today because of the revival in the Pentecostal movement, because of the outpourings of the spirit that we've enjoyed over the last well, 50, 60 years, many more now are open to the exercising of the gifts. But those who would oppose it, they use this as a verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 10. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. Some teach here that the perfect refers to Scripture, the complete perfect canon of Scripture, our Bible. That as soon as we have the Bible, there's no real need for the gifts of the Spirit. They say the whole revelation of God is here, and there's no need to add any more revelation to this. 
we don't need the gift of prophecy in the church. The Bible has replaced all spiritual gifts. This can't be true. In fact, the completed, perfect Bible still contains the exhortation to the church to 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially, it says, the gift of prophecy. So if they're saying this is perfect and what is in here is perfect, well, it perfectly says we should carry on then looking, seeking and exercising this gift of prophecy. If God commanded us to speak these gifts, we dare not say that they're not needed. The fourth objection I want to bring to you is that prophecy is dangerous. Well, it certainly can be. Because some people who sometimes manifest this gift, they're slack in their spiritual life. So if some that we're not sure about or certain about, we should always judge prophecy very carefully. We really need to know something about the character of the person who's bringing the prophetic to us. To say, because prophecy can be dangerous, we shouldn't have it. Well, teaching can be dangerous. Uh, much teaching has divided the church over the centuries. When we think of Martin Luther and the great revolution, revelation of truth that, that he received, uh, it, it brought death uh, to a great section of the church, I believe. They would say that about 100,000 people died because of the truth that uh, Martin Luther brought to the church. And of course, the Catholic Church uh, rebelled against that and it caused a lot of tension. And many lives were lost as he brought this truth to the church. But it hasn't stopped us preaching, has it? Uh, just because it's dangerous sometimes, it's never stopped preaching. Let us make sure if we're going to preach or we're going to prophesy that we walk in the Spirit and we walk right before God. The fifth objection to prophecy, they would say it's replaced preaching altogether. Now, I'd say that preaching is not the same as prophecy. In fact, in Acts 13.1, it mentions the two giftings here. In Acts 13.1, it says, In the church at Antioch, there were both prophets and teachers. The Bible then shows that both are really quite essential in the church for the health of the church. We need prophets and we need teachers. Teachers give us a thorough knowledge of God's principles set out in his word, whereas prophecy reveals the specific purposes of God in a given situation. We know what we should do in principle, but God needs to speak into our hearts to cause us to move in a certain direction. We could say then that teaching generally reveals the mind of God. Prophecy often reveals the heart or the feeling of God in that specific situation. Prophecy, without teaching, would probably lead us into error, just people prophesying all the time 
without considering the word of God would be a dangerous thing. But teaching without prophecy, without uh, the, the touch of the spirit sometimes, it would lead, well, it would be correct what we had, but it would be lifeless. There would be a formality about it. Perhaps prophecy is avoided by many preachers because it takes more faith and courage to prophesy than it does to preach the Word of God. Let's take a little break there and uh, we'll come back after the break for part two. Thank you. Why is prophecy necessary today? Well, if God gave us initially the gift of prophecy and it's been used throughout the centuries, and if in scripture, as we've seen, he urges us to seek it and to use it, we can quite uh, dogmatically state that it's necessary today. We need it today in the church. And we should perhaps beware of teaching that seeks to dispense with it. Saying that the gifts were right for one period of time, but they're not necessary today, I don't think is wise or true. It actually says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20, it says, do not put the spirit, sorry, do not put out the spirit's fire, do not uh, treat prophecies with contempt. And in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, it says this, I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book. I don't think he's just talking about the, the book of Revelation, but the whole of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy cities which are described in this book. To say no to prophecy then, when God has told us to earnestly seek it, is to take something away from the book. Prophecy then is necessary. And it's necessary today for the following reasons I want to list to you now. The first is, it builds up the church. And of course, we need all the building up that we could get. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, but everyone who prophesies, he speaks to men for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. So prophecy, when we hear it, it encourages us, it strengthens us, and it often brings comfort into our lives. The second thing that prophecy does, it confirms the preaching of God's word. He says that signs will follow the preaching of the word. And so when a message has been spoken, maybe it would be good within a church service to open it up to the prophetic, and so confirmation might come of the word that was preached. God urges us to seek it and to manifest it. This is the third necessity. 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So not only prophecy, but all the gifts. It said we're to be eager for them. Especially, it goes on to say, the gift of prophecy. 
1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. This is not the prayer tongue that we have, so he's not encouraging us to speak in tongues every day, but within the church, when the church is gathered, to give messages in tongues and then uh, make space for the interpretation of the tongue. I would like every one of you, he says, not just one now and again, seldom, but every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. Uh, the idea that the prophecy is words that we can understand, whereas tongues need to be interpreted. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, he encourages us now to try to excel in gifts, he says, all of the gifts that build up the church. And 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he finally says, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. That word is used a couple of times there, isn't it? To be eager to exercise the gifts, to be eager to prophesy. We could say if we lack uh, an eagerness to do it, it probably won't happen. We need to put ourselves in the place where we really want to do it. The motivation of love to bless the body of Christ is such that we know that God would speak and we need to put ourselves in that position. The fourth reason I have for uh, the need for it is that Scripture needs application. There's often a need to bring the specific word once we know the general word of God. Remember when on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he, he tried to go to different places where he had planted church before to go and encourage these churches. And it says he went to this location and the Spirit of God stopped him to another location and there was something of a hindrance there. And that night when he was sleeping, he received a dream. Acts 16 and 9 it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. See, this dream he had when asleep was like a vision. A vision is like a prophecy where God speaks to us and says something to us. Paul is trying to enter these different places. It's not happening. He needs a word from the Lord and the word comes to him, a specific word. The general word is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So where do we go? Well, we need a specific word. And for Paul in this case, it was come over to Macedonia. He was just preaching in Asia Minor. This was an invitation to come, as it were, further afield into Europe. Number five, prophecy makes heavenly things more real and exciting to us. When you share a vision from the Lord, something the Lord has said is though, oh, it's different, it's, it's, it's more exciting, it's, it, it has a sort of a thrill, it stirs the spirit, God saying something directly. Not, not a sermon that's been crafted and made, but actually the word of God speaking is just, it's, it just heightens everything up. Sometimes I've shared uh, the word of the Lord with people and, and just people have cried as they've been uh, impacted by the prophetic, the word of God. Uh, uh, prophecy can move people as well. 
move them into do new dimensions of worship. Maybe we're in a church and we're, we're worshiping God and everything's fine. Then the prophetic can come and just lift us, lift us as it were into another plane. I'll just share a, a brief story with you regarding uh, God speaking in a situation where it was so necessary. We built an extension to our building, and uh, uh, it was a cafe. We felt uh, everyone was drinking coffee these days. That it would be a good thing if the church had a cafe and opened it up to the public. So we built this extension. Uh, this particular evening that I'm going to be talking about, uh, the, the extension didn't look like a cafe. It didn't look like anything. It was simply a concrete shell of a building uh, with a glass front and a, a door on it. It, it could have uh, literally been anything. We were going to put all the fittings and everything and make it into a cafe. A few years previously, we had named our church. The congregation decided on the name they wanted to give to the church, and so uh, I invited the people to suggest a name for the cafe uh, so, so the public will have something to identify with. On that particular Sunday, they wrote down, uh, or we wrote down the list of all the names that were suggested. I believe there were about a dozen names in all. On, on the top, the first name was... was Café Rendezvous. Uh, so uh, on the Monday, following the Sunday, when all the names were submitted, uh, a group of two or three of us, we looked at these and said, oh, what, what name do you think is the best name and how, how are we going to go about this? Well, we all thought of different names that we would like for the café and, of course, no one would agree on that. There was 12 names. There were 12 different opinions already. On, on the Tuesday evening, uh, we had a meeting going on in the other part of the building. Uh, there was a building with the extension, which the cafe. In the other part of the building, there was like a, a meeting where we prayed for sick people. And often people would come, hear about the meeting, and they come to be prayed for to, to receive healing. Uh, my job this particular evening, we had worshipped the Lord for some time. I was sitting in this cafe area, but it was just uh, a quite a darkened area. That I remember there was just like a wire sticking out of the wall with a lamp on it. So, and so that's why I was there to usher people into where they needed to come. As I sat in this uh, cafe, uh, well, it didn't look like a cafe, but it was going to become one. I saw a lady coming up the road. It was sort of eight o'clock in the evening. It was fairly darkish. And I saw this lady coming up and I thought, oh, I wonder if she's coming into the cafe to, to be prayed for. Uh, she crossed the road and as she uh, came towards us, I opened the door. And she said to me, to my amazement, she said, is, it, is this cafe rendezvous? Oh, I thought, how weird. It's obviously not a cafe, and that was the name on the top of the list, Cafe Rendezvous. And I was quite taken aback. I didn't know quite what to say to her. Well, uh, I just said, no, no. And I thought, well, I'll direct you to a cafe somewhere else. But I thought, 8 o'clock at night, cafes aren't open. You might go to a, a fast food outlet or to a pub and, and get some food. But not. So I just said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and, and she went. I never saw the woman ever again. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know why she said the things that she said. When I met with my team uh, the following day, I said, you won't believe this. What happened last night, that this complete stranger came and she 
She said, is this Cafe Rendezvous, the name that was on the very top of the list? I said, I think we're going to call this place Cafe Rendezvous. I think God has somehow said, this is what it should be. Was this a messenger? Did God send this person to tell us? So we never took it back to the church for them to vote on it. We called it Cafe Rendezvous, and it's named that today. Later I said to God, God, why did you do that? Why did you just do that wonderful, miraculous thing? And he said, well, if you own something, you have the privilege of naming it. He said, this is my cafe, and I wanted to name it, so I named it Cafe Rendezvous, the meeting place of God. And over the years since that cafe was finished and we've been in operation, hundreds and hundreds of people have come and they've had uh, many conversations with people regarding the Word of God, the meeting place of God. See, we need the dynamic of the supernatural in our lives. We need that. So encouraging. Just keeps you going forward. The next necessity is it builds up, it exhorts, and it encourages the church. If someone was to get a, a vision, maybe, when we're worshipping God, of the armies of God, it nerves the church for further warfare. It, it strengthens and encourages them and moves them onward. A, a prophetic vision about a compassionate father it helps those in the church who are discouraged. They're feeling, feeling low, as it were. It, it, it builds them up. A prophetic vision of God's wholehearted forgiveness. Maybe those who are slipping and, uh, you know, not struggling with different sins in their lives, they know that they can receive mercy. And, of course, they come and they deal with those things in their lives. A prophetic vision of God's warning of correction encourages repentance and that coming back and starting again and moving on with God. The major purpose of prophecy then is to bring the living personal word of God to those who need it. So they press on in this Christian life and all that God has for them. Prophecy sometimes brings answers to prayer. Let me uh, quote to you from 2 Kings 19, 20 and 21. Then Isaiah, of course Isaiah was a prophet, the son of Amos, he sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayers concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. So Hezekiah is praying, and the answer to his prayer comes through a prophetic word. God heard his prayer and sent the prophet to give him an answer. Now, like I said, Isaiah was one of the major prophets, but we can all prophesy today. I would that you all prophesy, he says. So uh, we might have a word that is an answer for someone's prayer, and God might say, go and share this with that person. This school that exists now is an answer of a prayer and it needed a prophetic word. When I moved to Hastings uh, four years ago and I stepped out of pastoral ministry, the gifts I have, they're not taken back. I'm a 
pastor and a, a, a Bible teacher. I, I wanted to start a Bible school here down in Hastings. I didn't have the, the freedom to do that. You want God to speak into a situation. You can have many ideas, but you need the word of the Lord before you really step out and do those things. I remember being here several years, about three years, and I'm thinking, God, I, this is what I'll do. I know what I'll do, but you need to give me the word. One particular Wednesday afternoon in the spring of uh, 2020, uh, I was uh, talking to two particular ladies, uh, ministering to one of them, and uh, God spoke through what they were saying. And I knew in my heart he was saying, you can go ahead now, start the Bible school. So I knew it was time to get it moving. We couldn't start it in the... Uh, the Easter, there was time for that because uh, COVID and all those other things, but we, we launched it later that year. The eighth necessity that I've recorded here is on occasions judgment comes through prophecy. The example I've got is that of King David in 2 Samuel 12 and 1. It says, the Lord sent Nathan, again, he was a prophet, he sent Nathan to David. Remember, David had sinned terribly. He had uh, taken another man's wife and he had sent the husband to war and basically had him killed. God sent Nathan, the prophet, to go and speak to David to show him what he had done wrong. It says in 2 Samuel 12 and 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. He tells him a story about a king, uh, and he was having guests come to his house. And he had a neighbor, uh, and the neighbor just had one sheep. And rather than slaughter one of his, he stole the sheep from the neighbor and slaughtered his and fed it to his guests. When David heard this, he was angry and indignant, saying, who is this man? He should be punished for what he did. And of course, the reply from Nathan was, you're the man. You're the man who's done this terrible thing. As you read the story, you wonder, hmm, I wonder why David didn't really realize what he was doing was wrong. Well, maybe because he had received the word of the Lord that his house would continue, that perhaps he was more important than anyone else because he was the king he could have anything he wanted somehow he was deceived and so the prophet comes and speaks to him and shows him the error and brings judgment into his life uh, prophecy can bring warning into our life uh, not a warning of judgment but a warning that we need to guard ourselves we need to be careful in Acts 21 and 10, we know that Paul, uh, he gets a prophetic word from a prophet called Agabus. It's in, like I said, Acts 21 and 10. After he had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He said to him, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, they'll tie you up. He took a belt from his waist and tied Paul's hands as a a demonstration. It was a prophetic word. This is what's going to happen to you. And of course, that didn't stop Paul at all. He was going to move forward, whatever happened to him. We know also that Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, that uh, an angel came in the, in the night and spoke to him in a vision. Matthew 2 and 13. When they had gone, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. A warning, a prophetic warning, if he was to protect his wife and child, he needed to go to Egypt. Prophecy sometimes expresses praise. Uh, this is a verse found in 1 Chronicles 25 and 3. As for Jeduthun, from his sons, six in all, under the supervision of their father, Jeduthun, who prophesied using the harp in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. So prophecy can actually be sung or put to music. Uh, I suggest you be, are able to sing before you try uh, prophesying uh, by song. Uh, the Psalms, they're prophetic. A good many of them are prophetic. And of course, they were all put to song as well. They were poems. This is not singing in the spirit. Singing in the spirit is, is different. That would need interpretation. Prophecy needs no interpretation. Prophecy mostly comforts. When it's spoken, it brings comfort in one's life. Maybe you have an idea that God is saying something to you, that you should move in a certain direction or do a certain thing in your life, but you want God to come and confirm it through the prophetic. And because once he has spoken, then you're reassured. You're comforted that your thought was right and that God is saying, yes, go ahead. He's underlining what you're thinking. He's reassuring you. He's, he's urging you to go on. Often prophecy is valuable in pastoral counselling. We all need a bit of counselling uh, from time to time. Some people who are going through uh, maybe a, a serious crisis would need more than others. If we get into being counselled, we need to be looking all the time to, to move away from that if possible. We don't want to make ourselves dependent on a particular person or what this person is saying, but we need to get as much counselling as we need until we're strong enough. When a prophetic word comes in a counselling situation, it often pinpoints the problem. People come for help and they, they talk about all the symptoms, not knowing the root cause of the problem. The prophetic can say, well, these are all the symptoms, but this, this, is the problem. We need to deal with the root. Prophecy is often linked with a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or the discerning of spirits. The counsellor should have all of these when he sits to counsel. It's like his toolbox to get the job done. Prophecy in preaching. Prophecy when the teacher or the pastor is preaching it can just uh, just bring light or revelation into the sermon or the work that he's prepared, what he's trying to explain. It can add weight to what is being said. It inspires the heart as well as informing the mind. Uh, my father often uh, 
tells me stories uh, of, of things. He's, he's passed on now, but I remember him telling me a story about Smith Wigglesworth coming. Uh, some of you might know him. Uh, ministering in his church, and of course, he was um, he was called the Apostle of Faith. Uh, he raised, some say, over twenty people from the dead. So the the gifts of the Spirit were clearly operating uh, through him. And my father said often he would hear him preach, and then it would be sort of dull until something energized the whole message, and it would it would come to life. They knew that God was speaking through him. Sometimes uh, I've experienced something similar where it's almost like you go into overdrive. The last one I have to share with you is that prophecy can help in evangelism. Maybe someone is seeking Christ. They want to get their lives right. They want to come to the Lord, but there's some obstacle that's in their way. What could it be? Maybe they were involved in the occult. Maybe Freemasonry in the family. Or there's a curse over their lives. And they can't seem to make any spiritual headway or move forward. Prophecy can show what the problem is. And it can be dealt with so the person can be set free and move on. You see, prophecy does many, many good things within the church amongst the Christians. No wonder God encourages us to earnestly desire it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for some more great teaching in the Prophecy module. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can now do so by going onto our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. And remember, you can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.